Amen. Y'all go ahead and take a seat. First off, um, I am excited to be here with you guys this morning. I am hopeful that you um, guys here had a, had a sweet Christmas yesterday. Um, I hope that you got to celebrate and got to give and receive good gifts, or I hope that you're getting to do it soon with family. Um, this morning, we are going to jump into 1 John chapter 1. So if you want to go ahead and start turning there, that would be awesome. Um, so for those of you that are normally here, I am not Mr. Chad Poe. Uh, I am Josh, and so if I've not met you, I'm glad to be here and get the opportunity to teach this morning. Um, and I also just want to say it is such a joy to get to do this every now and then and get to wrestle through Scripture with some of the men and, and women in this church. As I prepare, it is always a blessing to me because I've got men and women in this church that come alongside and help and, and, and just encourage and pray for me. And it is just always a joy because of that. And so um, thank you to a lot of you in the room because you know what you do and how you love me well in that. So First um, John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1 before I actually read. So I'm going to, t- a little tension here, right? I want to talk about First John, First, Second, and Third John, really. Um, why was it written? Where are we at? What's the setting? Um, realistically, so First John was more than likely written by uh, John, the same author of the gospel, and probably written to churches in Ephesus. It's pretty widely agreed upon at that. Um, as we kind of open, why was it written? Well, the, the, the churches here in Ephesus were in a little bit of a crisis because they had um, some false doctrines, some false claims, really mainly about who Jesus was that were creeping in and were causing division and separation. And we had people going out from these churches and starting new ones and, and, and basically making false claims. And so it's a time of uh, kind of chaos, really, for a lot of these churches in Ephesus and probably a difficult time. I don't know if anybody has ever been through um, times of division in a church, but it's normally not pretty. It's normally painful. It normally hurts. Because you got people that you love and you care about that are now claiming things and doing things. And man, it, it's heavy. It's hard. And so as we read this, I want us to just kind of read in light of that, knowing that John is now writing back to a group of churches here that are struggling, um, that are probably just facing a lot of difficult things and a lot of hard relationships and trying to stay true to what they believe is um, right and good. And so as we read, I want us to kind of read in light of that. We're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to be in 1 John, and then we're going to be in Luke 2, and then we're going to come back to 1 John. And so as we do that, I will read everything, and most of it will be up on the screen, but just follow along as best you can. So 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have and what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So right here in the very first verse of 1 John, John is, is making a claim about the person of Jesus. When he says the word of life, he, he's referencing the person of Jesus. And, and the people, like he, he was claiming very early on who Jesus really was, and that is the Messiah that had been promised, fully God. Became that was being debated. That was the thing that was probably um, causing the division in the church at the time. And, and John makes this claim, and he says... The word of life which I have seen with my eyes, I have heard with my ears, I have touched. 
He's giving his personal account because he literally got to see, got to hear, got to touch the person of Jesus. And so he's making this claim to these people saying, look, you, you already know this about me, but I'm just reminding you again. Like I, I saw, I heard, I touched this man that came, Jesus. So he, he's giving this account, trying to, trying to encourage them and remind them of the things that he's, he's already told this, these churches, realistic, he already talked to these people about, at least many that had been in the church for a while. Verse two, that life was revealed and now we have seen it and we testify it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. John is making the claim that that eternal life only comes through Jesus. He's making it early on. And again, he's crying out to to these churches and and just realistically, the whole tone of 1 John, again, we already talked about how they were probably in a little bit of crisis mode and we've got probably divisions going on in some other churches um, being, you know, split off because of these false doctrines that are being proclaimed. And so his tone throughout this book and really even into the other two is, is, is very um, loving and caring and, 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 and just uh, pastoral. Like he, 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 he cares for these people so much. And so he makes these claims in a way that he, he's trying to like plead with them and remind them of the truths that they need to cling to. Verse three, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. Here's, that, here's that, that sweet tone. So that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He said, look, I'm telling you these things because I want you to believe them too. And I want you to be in fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father. He knows that the only way that you can maintain fellowship with the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And he's going to unpack that a lot more as we go, but he's, he's kind of setting the tone early in this letter to these uh, churches to just remind them and declare these things early. Verse four, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I want to flip back to John chapter 15 really quick. I want to read verse 11. If you are actually flipping there, you'll notice it's in red. And that means it was uh, the words of of Jesus, right? So I want to just read this really quick. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. John is almost verbatim, like telling these people what Jesus had said in front of him, to him, to the crowds that were listening at that time. And John John is like, man, pleading with these churches saying, hey, I, I want you to be brought into this fellowship with God so that, your, so that our joy may be complete. This isn't like a, I'm, I'm writing these things to you so that my joy may be complete by myself. No, it's our joy may be complete. John is aware and cognizant of the fact that the people in these churches and the people all across the world don't have fellowship with the Father and don't have complete joy apart from Jesus. And so John is inviting them in to fellowship He's inviting them in to complete joy in Jesus. So, so but, but, but before we go, verse 9 of John chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Verse 4, we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. 
John is about to, to unpack and, and, and really kind of echo what Jesus had said, that in order for your joy to be complete, you have to abide in the love of Christ. And so as we move down into verse 5, let's think of these things. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Verse five is kind of the intro to this small section. And then we've got these parallel statements that are made that we can kind of equate to one another that I want us to see. But verse five right there, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. This, this metaphor, this, this uh, example of God being light is used in a lot of places. And, and, and there, there are a lot of great examples and illustrations that people have done. More than likely, if you've been in church, you've heard one of them at some point or another. But I just want us to understand, like, God is light. God is the source of life. He is the sustainer of life. He is the source of knowledge and truth. What he says goes. And so when we see God is light and, and, and there is no darkness in him at all, there, there is no lack of clarity, lack of truth, lack of life. There is none of that. So now as we jump into verse 6, here's what I want to do. I'm going to read verse 6 and verse 8 and verse 10 together. And we're going to see the parallel. And then I'm going to read verse 7 and 9 together. And I hope you see the parallel as well. Are you ready? So verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. Okay, that's verse six, right? Now verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see these parallels here, right? All of them, we are a liar on this side. And then what is the other side? Walking in darkness, saying we haven't sinned, claiming that we have no sin, right? So walking in darkness is making the claim that we don't have sin or that we have not sinned. Those are the same here. Walking blind to the fact that we are sinners, broken, messed up in need of a savior. Walking in darkness. Okay, so now verses seven and nine. Let's, let's, let's read those two together, parallel to one another. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we walk in the light, his son cleanses us from all sin. You ready? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see the parallel here? Walking in the light cleanses us of sin. Confessing our sins cleanses us of sin. So what do we know? Walking in the light, confessing our sins. Acknowledging the fact that God is light that he is righteous, he has a holy standard, that we are sinful, broken, that we don't live up to that standard, confessing our sin, acknowledging the fact that we need a savior. And the only savior that would satisfy would be Jesus. So, so what do we know? We know walking in darkness, trying to say that we have no sin, claiming that we have not sinned, 
That's one side. The other side is acknowledging, walking in the light, confessing our sins, and God cleansing us of our unrighteousness, forgiving us for our sins. My little children, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is an interesting little shift, right? Because what have we done? Well, he just said, if you don't acknowledge the fact that you have sin, then you're lying and walking in darkness, right? And if you acknowledge, if you, if you walk in the light, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse you, right? Now, what does he say? Hey, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin, so that you will strive to, to, to not sin, to, to work at like living up to God's holy standard. Like that, that's what you ought to strive for. I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. I'm trying to, to paint a picture for you. I'm trying to give you information. I'm trying to remind you of the truths of God so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, here's the cool part here, right? Because realistically saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. But if you do, let's substitute but when you do, or you already have. So let, let, let me give you the solution here. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So here, here's, here's I, I, I have looked a lot. I don't know anywhere else where it says specifically Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We see some different spots where Jesus is called righteous, but I don't know of any other spots where like that is his title, if you will, except for right here. Why in the world would John choose to use like that as his title and, and, and clarify here? Um, so specifically. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Here's what, here's what I want us to think about. If we have an advocate with the Father, what does an advocate do just in general? Well, an advocate is somebody who's going to speak on behalf of, speak to the character of, who, who is going to vouch for, who's going to advocate for someone's position, for someone's status, for someone's um, ability to go and do whatever, right? Let me tell you what I don't need Jesus to do. I do not need Jesus to go and advocate for my worthiness. I don't need Jesus to go advocate for the things that I have accomplished or done. I don't need Jesus to advocate for my good things that I bring to the table. I need Jesus to go and advocate for what he has accomplished. And so when we see we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, without Jesus Christ being the righteous one, him being the advocate is useless. Because he is not advocating what I bring to the table or the good things that I have done. He is advocating the fact that he is righteous. And so we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself, Jesus himself, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Con confess, and he is faithful 
and righteous to cleanse us. The only way he can cleanse us, the only way he can advocate on our behalf is if he has righteous, if he is righteous, if he has come and become the perfect spotless lamb. So when we look at this passage, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have hope because Jesus Christ is the righteous one. Without him being the righteous one, we are hopeless. Because we are walking in the light and we are acknowledging and aware of the fact that, guess what? I'm sinful and God has a holy, righteous standard, a bar that's way up here and I am nowhere near it. And so I need an advocate. I need an atoning sacrifice. I need for my sins to, 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 to be forgiven. I need to be cleansed. I want to jump over really quick to Luke chapter 2. So we already know that 1 John was written to a group of churches that were in um, some chaos, in some difficult times. We know that um, they, were, they were probably dealing with a lot of hurt. Um, probably some people that had left that probably didn't say nice things when they walked out the door. <laughs> they probably had not said nice things to the people walking out the door. These are people they've been walking and doing life with, probably um, sacrificing for, probably spending time with. And so we know that the people, that these churches in First John were struggling. And, and, and as, as I just thought through, man, this is the day after Christmas. And yesterday, I hope and pray was a sweet day. But I also am very aware that for some people in the room, yesterday was probably difficult. Or maybe yesterday was a sweet time, but today's difficult because you're aware that, man, my vacation's almost over and I'm about to have to get back to it. I'm about to, back, to be back in this grind. Or maybe you're about to go visit family that are tough to deal with. You're about to go see people or you've already seen people that, man, there's some pain and some scars there. You're about to have to jump back in into this toilsome cycle that's difficult. And so I, I want us to just take a look. I'm going to start in verse 21 of chapter 2. I want us to just take a look at someone who, man, when I read this, I, I, I just think to his, where he was at and what was going on for him. And his response is, is just cool. So verse 21 of chapter 2, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Simeon was a guy who was a devout Jew, someone who had probably been faithful his whole life. And just realistically, when we think about the status of Jews as a whole at that point, there were probably a lot that were not actually being faithful to what God had called them to. (laughs) A lot of people like taking advantage of people and a lot of this adding on to what God had done and making it about something other than God's goodness. And just realistically, think about the Jews at the time. God had been silent for 400 years. Can you imagine? Like we're, we're talking about like he is having to look back like generations back to have the last bit of, of, of God's like revelation. Like you want to talk about a toil. You want to talk about somebody who he, he's trying to do and, and, and do what God is calling him to do and be faithful to continue to try to abide by the law and, and, and commit or, and do these sacrifices because not because he trusts in his own ability to live up to it, but because he knows that's what God's called him to do. And it's obvious that he trusts that God is going to make a way and going to bring a Messiah that would restore. Can you imagine, right? The Holy Spirit comes on Simeon and says, hey, before you die, you're going to get to see the Lord's Messiah. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And Simeon had already wrestled through a lot of this toilsome life. And he got to look into the eyes of his Savior. And he said, you can dismiss your servant now. Like he, man, he, he said, man, this is to the glory of Israel because and we were not worshiping in vain. Our faith that God would provide and make a way wasn't, wasn't like wrong. We believed in God and he is making a way. He has brought the Messiah that has been promised. And I'm getting to look this guy in the eyes. Man, what a moment. And so as we, as we flip back and we think through 1 John and we know that they're in this toilsome time right now, and we know that Jesus has come and he has, he has died on the cross. We, we know that he came. He was born of a virgin Mary. We know that he came and he, he lived this perfect life. He loved on people that were unlovable. He, he performed miraculous works of God that just displayed God's power and pointed to the fact that he loved these unlovable people. Then he was wrongly accused, hung on a cross, right? Like God has done some awesome things. He's made a way for you and I, for those who would believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But he's not done away with all death and sin and hurt. And so as we read what Simeon got to read there, like he wasn't even getting to see the full picture, but I can still just sit here and and just, can you imagine holding that baby? And the joy, the fact that he would say, you can dismiss your servant now. I've seen what I need to see. Like, I want us to be able to, to, to now stop and realize that one day we're going to stand before God.
for those that have believed in Jesus, the joy that we see in Simeon's voice is going to be that and all the more. Like, we, we have that to look forward to. The, the churches here in Ephesus that were wrestling through and struggling with people saying things about them, that were struggling with people making false claims, that were, man, it, it's a, a tough, chaotic time. They have hope. That, that God is going to fully restore. He is going to come back and he is going to make right all that is wrong. He's going to take away hurt and pain and sickness and he's going to make it right. First John chapter two, verse 28. So now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And we look forward to the day when Jesus would come again. We, we strive, right? Like, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Like, I, I encourage you. I, I, I plead with you as believers, like, don't sin. Strive to be more and more like Jesus. Like, I am I, I, also keenly aware that it is difficult and there is pain, there is hurt, there are things going on in your lives that I will never understand that are hard. When we get to those moments of hopelessness, look to Jesus. Know that we have a hope that one day he will come and make right. So here's the deal. There, there are obviously some people in the room that, man, you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Because you've been walking in darkness, you haven't acknowledged the fact that there is a God with a righteous standard that you can't attain. And I, I plead with you, I ask that God would, would reveal to you, would take the blinders off, would, would, would love you in a way that you would see that you are sinful, that you don't live up to that righteous standard and that you need Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You need an advocate with the Father. And Jesus came. We celebrated his birth yesterday. Again, lived the perfect life. Loved the unlovable. Displayed God's power. Taught. Was wrongly accused. Crucified on the cross. Our sins and the punishment for those were put on his shoulders. He paid the price that we deserved. I pray that if you have never trusted in Jesus for that salvation, I pray that you would. I pray that you would believe that what the Bible tells us happened really happened and that you have no hope outside of Jesus. For the believer in the room, I hope and pray that that truth would bring hope and that we could look forward to the day when we stand before Jesus. And that we know that we could stand in confidence. Not because of what we bring to the table, no. We know that Christ is coming and he is advocating for his righteousness. We know 
that he's saying, I've already paid the price for their sin. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and we are. God, we come to you this morning. Lord, I am thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the opportunity to do life with this church. I'm thankful for the encouragement that the men and women in this church bring to me and my family. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that yesterday we got to celebrate and, 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 and make much of the fact that Jesus would leave his place in heaven and, and, and come and be born, come into this broken world, deal with the, the hurt and the brokenness and the sin, and that he would choose to allow people to wrongly accuse him and then be sacrificed on the cross that he would choose to love us even when we were enemies of God. God, I'm so thankful for Jesus. God, I pray this morning that you would, I pray that you would open the eyes. I pray that you would bring people into the light. I pray that you would allow people to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We pray all this to your glorious name.